Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now it's difficult not to kind of build this bit up too much, but as a huge fan of music, as a, I'd say, yeah, corner in my top five bands of all time, the guitarist that I'm about to announce is the reason that I picked up a guitar The tones and the riffs that he played have shaped the sort of bands I listen to now, like bands like Deftones and Limp Bizkit and most of the new metal bands that I listen to from the 90s. I'm actually joined today by the corn guitarist and the co-frontman from Love and Death, Brian Welsh, or as you may know him, Head. I remember I've been listening to this band since about the age of 15 and I was lucky enough to see them right at the start in 1997 at the Wolverhampton Civic Hall. They opened with the track Twist and from that moment they absolutely blew me away and did something to me that no other band has ever done live before. They then went into the track Blind. That riff, that guitar, that drum and that vocal by Jonathan Davis stayed with me for absolutely years. I remember queuing up only a year later outside Virgin Megastore to be one of the first people to get my hands on the album Follow the Leader. That for me is a perfect album. It changed music for me. It was incredible to see the success that came with this album and just how they changed music forever. I've seen them recently only at download two years ago and they've still got it just as much as they did back in the 90s. It's an absolute honour to know that he's joining me for today's episode and even when I say it out loud it still doesn't seem real. I've been recently listening to the Love and Death album, Perfectly Preserved, and you know me by now. I don't get paid, I don't have to do this to promote certain things, but this album is incredible, and I don't say that lightly. It's so, so good. To hear him actually provide vocals just as well as the guitar, to be there with the guy from Breaking Benjamin, the musicianship and the songwriting is unbelievable. And as it stands right now, we might only be in March, but it's my album of the year. It's that good. And we get to sit and talk all about this and much more. Now, when I've been editing this episode over the last couple of days, I've kind of been on the fence because Brian's one of the first guests that kind of turns the microphone around and asks me a number of questions throughout. And it's a bit out of my comfort zone because I'm so used after four years to just keep asking questions to the person I'm interviewing to find out their story. But he takes the time to find out more about me And in that process, I'm finding myself being very honest and opening up more than I normally would. And I was sat there thinking, do I do this? Do I let the public out there know a lot more about my childhood and my anxiety and my mental health issues and being bullied in the past? And I thought, yeah, these listeners deserve to know the truth and to know exactly who I am and what I'm about. In the same way that Brian does throughout this interview. It gets really heavy and it gets a lot deeper than the sort of subject matters that I tackled previously on Mark and Me. And I'm really proud of it. I'd say right now it's the best episode I've personally done for me. And I think Brian is absolutely outstanding. I can't wait for you to listen to this interview. It goes off in so many different areas and I'm so proud of it. So I think the best thing to do right now is to let you guys listen. So here's me and Brian talking all things music.
Brian, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you for having me. And uh, how long have you had this podcast? I'm going to start interviewing you. Oh, wow. Two-way interview. Uh, nearly four and a half years, 120 episodes nearly. Man, you've been going for it. I know. It's good. And uh, during lockdown, it's the best time to get hold of people. Everyone's at home, not touring and not recording. So it's a good time to try and catch the guests I've been trying for for years. Right. So uh, have you done like a majority of those yeah. during the pandemic? Yeah, I've um, I've got like guests that I dreamed of that I didn't think I'd get over the last few weeks. It's been mad. I've been doing two or three interviews a day when normally with a full time job, it'd be one a week. I have to go and look at the archives and watch your uh, watch your interviews with your guests. So I'm doing that since we're in a pandemic still. I'm going to go do that. That'd be cool. There's loads on there. There's uh, if you like films, I've got people like Napoleon Dynamite, some of the cast of Twin Peaks. Um, oh, bro! All those sorts of guys. And then if you like bands, Thrice, who are amazing, they've come on a couple of times. Funeral for a Friend, Refused, bands like that. And then actors. Yes, dude, that's crazy. You have a, you have quite a, an eclectic uh, group of guests. Yeah, I do. I just. I kind of like the fact that if someone's got a story to tell, it doesn't matter where you're from, what walk of life, what you've done. Let's just talk and see how it goes. Right. Totally. Well, let's do it. So what I want to do, obviously, most of the listeners who have tuned in today will be huge music fans. Um, but what I want to do is take it back to the start when you were first maybe a teenager and you bought the guitar and you were buying records when people used to actually buy CDs. What were those first albums that you bought that made you absolutely know you wanted to be a guitarist? Um, ACDC. Back yeah. in Black, yeah. Iron Maiden, um, Number of the Beast, lovely. Ozzy Osbourne, Blizzard of Oz, Ju Judas Priest, uh, Vengeance, something, Screaming for Vengeance. So it was all, I was like, a lot of it was the British metal invasion for me. Yeah. You know, but uh, not ACDC, but... Uh, yeah, I just loved the sound. It was mainly ACDC that got me to open that door. And the, just the sound of the guitars and the quality of the songwriting on that record and the sound of Brian Johnson's voice just took me, took me over the edge with metal. And then I went back and listened to Bon Scott. I'm like, how do they have one of the best singers in metal he passed away and they get one and they <laughs> blow up bigger. I know. That's luck. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So the difference is then you're buying these CDs. You, you mean you've got the most classic there. I mean, that, that's the foundations that anyone would dream of, you know, and they're good, solid bands. But can you remember those first gigs you went to when it transported you into that thing of, fuck me, live music. This is my record being played to me in front of me. Yeah, it was just surreal, you know. I'm, I, my first concert was Sammy Hagar. Nice. And uh, Sammy Hagar eventually, he was solo and then he eventually went on to um, replace David Lee Roth and Van Halen, most people know. They had a band called Quarter Flash open for him. And then the next concert was, I think, Twisted Sister I went to. And uh, then after that was Striper. And... Stripers that was a Christian metal band and they threw out Bibles this big at the end of the concert and I didn't get one. 
And back then I didn't want one anyway. So, uh, and then Rat and Motley Crue came and yeah, just a lot of the hair metal stuff I was in, or, or not hair metal I was into in the beginning, but you know, Motley Crue and Rat came probably when I was 14 or something, but ACDC and all those other bands were 10 to 13. And so it just, it just evolved over time. I mean, seeing bands like Motley Crue at 14, I'd be like, fuck, like, how am I ever going to get my head around this? You know, one of the first bands I saw was Green Day in like a really small venue. And that blew my mind. And Limp Biscuit came along a few years later. But to see someone like Motley Crue and the bands you've mentioned, I just, you know, it's like, <laughs> how am I going to overcome and see bands bigger and better than this? You know, it's at right. that age as well. You must have been like, Christ, this is incredible. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And just the showmanship and the, uh, you know, it's show business. So it's a business, but there's, you're putting on a show, you know, and those bands really grab, even, you know, love them or hate them now, looking back, they really put on a show and they theatrics and hair and makeup and, and all that stuff. And, you know, you can arguably Motley Crue aren't the best players on the planet, but they sure do know how to uh, be in show business. Right. Definitely. Exactly. And I, I'm not a massive fan of Kiss, but when I go and watch them live, I'm like, do you know what? Even if you don't like the record, that is how you entertain a crowd. Right. Yep. That's it, man. And uh, so you got to you, you got to give applause to bands like that, you know, and Corn, we've tried to be we're not the most technical players, too. You know, you you go out there and you watch, you know, all these new bands and great guitar players that are uh, animals as less leaders you know like bands all these technical bands and whatnot and uh even bands like tool you know they got the crazy time signatures and corn has been more of a groove band and more we've tried to implement the the concert experience with the show but have good songs you know yeah but not they're not really technical we're not technical players we just love to create a certain style that we have been going for you know and I will throw in for all these uh, early listeners. Um, I will throw in that my other band, Love and Death, has a new album coming uh, that came out last weekend, perfectly preserved. So you guys, Dude, check we're going to we're going to get to that. Don't worry. Yeah, but I know. But some people won't hang till the end. <laughs> so I wanted to tell them now. So uh, it's like a commercial. You know how uh, yeah. you watch a show and there's like three commercials for thirty Mine's minutes. Trailers. I'm doing a com That's my first commercial. Perfectly preserved. Now out on all records and Spotify. Yeah. During the pandemic. <laughs> what better time to listen to an album at home? Yeah, exactly. Right. So obviously you're listening to these bands. You're going to watch these amazing shows and you're getting yourself a guitar. Now, I'm not just saying this and kissing your ass because you're on the podcast, but for me, Corn were one of the bands that changed music for me. You know, I saw you in Wolverhampton. Really? I, saw, I saw you in Wolverhampton with Limp Biscuit at the Wolfen Hall, it's a fucking tiny venue, and the sound just did something that changed me. You and Deftone, between you, have just shaped all the bands I listen to now, like, genuinely. Wow. Like, yeah, the reason I picked up a guitar, I've been in bands, I've never made it, but I've, I got to play with some of my idols, so they're not very big over here, these bands, but they're bands that I adore, um, and mm -hmm. I got to do some good gigs and be on Radio 1 and stuff, but Listening to Corn and hearing that sound, it's hard because I'm talking to the person that played it, but you have no idea that those sounds 
were like nothing else I'd ever heard. You know, you you set this tone on your guitar that I hadn't heard. I'd been to gigs, I'd been to see loads of bands, Green Day, Foo Fighters, Pearl Jam. But when I saw you guys, it was lower than I have ever heard. You know, the bass lines, yeah. the guitar tones, the B tuning or even lower, everything was all like, fuck, my ribs are shaking. My stomach has got this feeling in it that I've never had before. And when you released, you know, I know it's an album that you always have to talk about, but when you released Follow the Leader, that was it. It was like, this is what I've waited to listen to all my life. This is the album that everyone is talking about. And I can't even try and digest what went through your head when that album came out because you changed music. You were there, you were the band that made all the bands that then came out that were on Kerrang! start to want to be like Korn. It was crazy, man. I mean, I, I never would have dreamt that would have been possible, honestly, because we were so, we thought we were so alter, alternative and different that we would be in this smaller bubble, you know? Yeah. So, so to have it go mainstream like that was really crazy for us. But, you know, the record company, they, I don't think they, they didn't like us that much. You know, the guy that actually signed us, he said, you guys aren't going to go that far because he thought we were like getting egos right from the beginning. Right. You guys, he's like, you guys need to chill out. You're not going to go that far, that far. You don't even have that much melody in your music. And I'm like, <laughs> He's telling us, and I'm thinking in my head, why'd you sign us? You don't even like us. And uh, and so, yeah, we were, we were signed on a smaller label. We were rejected by bigger labels. And so we just thought we were this smaller thing. And then it grew. And to see it come to, I mean, when we did Life is Peachy and had the song Adidas and, and, uh, and uh, just we got a little bit more melodic on that record. And it seems like, we were going in the right direction then follow the leader came and it just busted out a new a new level of songwriting for us and we went into uncharted territory which was like got the life and freaking a leash and and um which was away from the just really heavy you know just met metal stuff we did there's metal all over that record but we just yeah. went more crazy uh kind of alternative and then we had a lot of guests on that record so i think the songs were the biggest uh reason why it, it just broke open for us but i don't know man it just was weird i was it gonna was say like, could you even process it in your head at the time or were you just enjoying the partying and the success and just kind of not even having a chance to step back and even acknowledge what was happening around you yeah it was just like we jumped, we got on a, a roller coaster and yeah. put on the seatbelt and just watched <laughs> it all happen. You know, we just watched it happen. But before Fall the Leader, we were we were also in humble beginnings, too, because I lived in a a tiny two bedroom apartment while we were writing Fall the Leader. And so Fieldy and Jonathan lived down the street from each other in Long Beach, California, and they had just little, you know, humble houses. Yeah. And, you know, and so we were still those kids that were, yeah, we played with Tool and Lollapalooza and we, you know, and, and uh, Snoop Dogg and, and House of Pain and Megadeth and all these bands, but we were still little. Yeah. And so Follow the Leader, that just broke everything open. I mean, everything changed that, that album when it came out. Within one year or less, we all, like, uh, 
got big houses, moved out of our small houses. It must have felt like the lottery. Yeah, it was. It was like overnight. Fuck, we can buy cars. It was really crazy because at first we were living though. We were fine. And so I I lived on couches before corn got signed. So me having a two bedroom apartment and all of it paid for, that was like winning the lottery for me. Yeah. And then I won another lottery. <laughs> then it kept going up. So, you know, just I was I was hearing the other day who was like, oh yeah, Tom Morello, Rage Against yeah. the Machine. He did an interview and he was like, he goes, Hey, I'm gonna tell you a secret. I would have done this music business for free. <laughs> You know, and so that's how musicians feel. You probably felt the same way when you're when you're playing a band. You just love it, right? Yeah. It's just how it is. So uh, I don't know. To get paid is just a major bonus. This podcast earns no money. It's Patreon supported, and I would do it for the rest of my life every single day because I just get something from it that I don't get from anything else in life. So you know, that's amazing, man. So you don't have like uh, uh, commercials and stuff like that. No, I, I'm against it because. When I listen to podcasts myself, if you've got two or three adverts that are completely unrelated to the podcast within the first 10 minutes, you know, I love Chris Jericho as a wrestler, but you put his podcast on and it's advertising pants or fucking hairspray. And you're like, I've, what? There's not even started the interview yet. And you've tried to sell me two products. So if I can avoid that and keep going and just give people the full interview without any adverts... I think as a listener, they'll appreciate that more. And okay, I won't be able to buy a house, but I can keep that kind of natural, you know, at this point, would you now love to go straight to an, an interview about selling a certain wine? It'd just be so out of context when me and you were just talking about corn and bands and starting out and records. It just doesn't work for me. So would it be like awkward if somebody was like, love and death? New record out. <laughs> Perfectly preserved. Perfectly preserved. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. It's relevant. But you, do you know what I mean? If I listen to those podcasts that suddenly just try and sell stuff, it's like, ugh. I, it's when, I know what you're saying. It's when you feel like uh, you, you just you listen and you're like, this is going so corporate. Yeah. And, and it takes the grassroots feeling away from it. I get it. And I'm a one-man team. I don't have a producer. I did it myself. I record myself. I edit myself. I run all my social media. So it feels like this is my baby. No one's going to come in and fiddle and just kind of fuck it up for me. It's nice. How do you get all these uh, amazing guests? Hard work. And that's the honest truth. Like if you think too long about how did Mark get this guest and you're not doing that, you're wasting your time thinking about how did it happen instead of making it happen. So wow. you go and get Anthony Hopkins. He's never done a podcast. He's never, ever sat and done a podcast. Are you ever, serious? Ever. Because... He's an old retired man who still does acting now and then. He's still one of the best in the business. But he doesn't yeah. want to sit there and do podcasts. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to try and sell Silence of the Lambs. It's the fucking masterpiece. Okay, so, now I'm going to interview again. Yeah, so... How did you get this guy? What What is the process like? You just contacted so, someone that knew him? Or? So he loves art. He absolutely loves sitting at home and doing art. That's his life now. Playing the piano and drawing. So he did a, an art gallery of his work. So I thought, let's think outside the box. I'm never going to get an agent to say, yeah, okay, he'll come and talk to some guy in his bedroom. And, you know, so I went to the art gallery and I spoke to them and I said, look, I want to get Anthony Hopkins to come on and talk and promote his gallery that he's doing here this weekend. And they're like, really, as a podcast? I was like, of course. So they're like, okay, let's do it. 
so I do the interview and I start then while I'm talking about his art mentioning Westworld mentioning Hannibal mentioning some of the films he's done and he's happy to talk I've captured the interview I've talked about his art gallery everyone's happy and I just fought outside the box I didn't go to a studio I never went to a PR manager, I never went to an agent, I just went to an art gallery that he hosted his work and that he was happy to talk about. Isn't it refreshing to to talk to someone so iconic and just have a conversation and enjoy one, yeah. one another's company yeah, or whatever? Yeah, I had uh, Corey Feldman on and he has a lot of issues because of his music, it's not the career that people expect of him, he just wants to talk about his band and his music. And all I want to do is talk about Gremlins and Goonies and his 80s films because they were my favourite films growing up. So I ask and I prepare two pages of A4 paper of questions all about his film roles. And I can't wait. You know, I'm so excited to talk about The Lost Boys and all this stuff. And his first answer to me was, I don't want to talk about any films today. I just want to talk about music. And I'm like, ah, oh, oh, man. Bummer. You shouldn't negotiate. Listen, next time that happens, I want you to negotiate and say, I totally respect that. Yes, I want to talk about your music. Um, Corey, would it be okay if we just have two minutes at the end to just yeah. discuss my favorite movies? Could, would that be fair enough with you? Like, do that. That's a good negotiate. idea. I might not get that opportunity again now. He hates everyone in the world, but it was a good look. I've got him. I've talked to him. It was a, it was another tick on the box of wish lists. So. Well, maybe... Uh, you know, if, if the allegations are true yeah. about the uh, the sexual stuff and that happened with them, it could be a thing where it just it hurts too much to to go back in that time frame in his in his life. You know, I, I respect so. that more than anything, especially with his documentary and the, the rape allegations and stuff like you don't want to revisit those moments. So I get it. And if it's associated with those films or being on set, then I'm happy to not talk about them. But it was just like. Ah, oh, my opportunity to ask all those questions as a kid about gremlins and goonies and stuff, and I never got to. Bummer. But it's all good. So, you obviously left Corn, and it was one of those moments where you just think, are they going to now break up and not continue? And they carried on, and they're still touring. You went off, and you know there was a lot of media about your drug addictions and rehab and getting back on the straight and narrow. Now. Recently, I had Joey Kramer on the podcast, who's this, you might know the actor from Flight of the Navigator, the young child. Mm -hmm. So he went into rehab and he got arrested and got in lots of drugs and he came out completely now clean, completely fresh. He's turned his whole life around. And the reason that he did it was for his daughter. He had wow. a child and he needed this and he knew that was enough reason to come back stronger and make sure that he didn't make those same mistakes which is a bit similar to your story you know when I look at researching and some, some of your previous work and your previous documentary and I don't want to delve into that because we just talked about how people don't want to revisit it but there's people listening that have got issues that have depression that have done drugs that drink to try and hide those things away and something you said you joined and wanted to be in a band because you wanted to feel safe and you wanted to wear a mask because you didn't like the way you looked. You didn't like your appearance. Has that stuck with you? And is that sometimes the reasons you believe that you went down those dark places and paths in life? Or was it completely just to numb the pains of other things? 
I think it was all the above. I think it was to numb the pain. And I think it was the root of it was self-hatred, I believe. Yes. Self-hatred um, about, um, I got bullied in high in uh, junior high school and the, the kids grew taller and bigger before me. Yeah. So I couldn't really defend myself. And I was scared to defend myself because I was so little. And I think that put a self-hatred of a, a, I didn't have self-respect. I was, I was like, I'm a, I'm not, I'm not a real man type of thing. You yeah. know, a lie got put in my head to where I'm not good enough. I'm not powerful enough. I don't, I don't respect myself enough. I feel like I'm ugly. I feel like I'm weak. And all of those things, even though I made it as a rock star, I think all of those things, the traumas of my childhood just never, it was maybe subconscious, right? Yeah, of course. And it turned into depression where I didn't know that I felt that way because like, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man now. I'm a, I'm a musician, a professional musician. But subconsciously, that little boy um, has, has put a lie in there that I'm not good enough, you know? And so that caused depression. Um, I, but I always felt like I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Now I am, I'm finally free. I, I love myself. You know, sometimes I get pissed off at myself, but I, I forgive myself, which is very important. And, uh, and so, yeah, but it was, it was really dark in those times. And my daughter was the one that helped me look at this little angel and say, I don't want her to hate herself. No. You know, and so, and that's when I found my faith and everything. And I, I felt like what I experienced was, you know, Christ's love for me helped me love myself and forgive myself so that I, I can in turn love my daughter and give her a better life. So it was, it was full circle, you know? So how do you change that? Because like, every kid and myself I had really bad skin at school so I had really bad spots and acne and that was the reason that people would pick on me not because I listened to bands or people are cruel aren't they kids are the cruelest so my appearance was the thing that they went after and like you said you didn't feel as tall or as big as the guys around you mine was just you know the appearance but what did you do because you just said to yourself now you love yourself what what changed what was it that you found or you did that then helps get you to the complete different way of thinking did you because it feels to me like you have to rewire yourself to think differently yeah um now i i do want to say that i did i went through the exact same things as you i had i had bad acne yeah um that was a major thing in my life and that has like my acne as a kid scarred me emotionally big time and then like and right when i entered high school I got a mole that grew on my nose, a dark mole right in the middle. And I'm like terrorized. I'm like, you know, the North star, they, they would call it. And, and my mom was so kind. She saved money for me to get back then a laser or whatever it was to take it off. So for one year I had this big dot and wouldn't go away. And then the acne would come and go. And I just, I grew my hair. I mean, that was the hair metal days, right? I was talking about yeah. Motley Crue. I grew my hair over my face so I could hide, you know? So I was terrorized mentally in so many ways, man. And uh, 
breaking free from it was a process. Yeah. It's like, I mean, if you think about music, what, what do counselors and psychiatrists, psychiatrists do? What do they want you to do? They want you to verbalize your pain, right? Yeah. And if you think about music, it's like, especially corn and bands like corn. And uh, now with my love and death project, I do a vocally too. It's we're verbalizing pain, we're verbalizing things that happen to us. And so it's therapy. And that in turn becomes helpful for our fans to hopefully get some kind of therapy out of listening to our songs and going to our concerts and screaming and and all that stuff so i think it's been a process of years i finally just accepted myself oh and by the way i was also uh fat when i was a kid or overweight you know my my friends were all skinny and they would hold me down and 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 watch lift up my shirt and smack it until it turned pink and watch it jiggle and everything so it was (laughs) Kids I had a lot of that stuff that. happen and it really scarred me. And so it made me, I uh, think subconsciously hate myself. And so, but yeah, I went to counseling. I found a spiritual life prayer. I, I tried everything. I'm like, yeah. I have to fight for me for the sake of my daughter. And yeah. I finally found like self love, you know, and self acceptance and and you know all that stuff so it was it was hard bro it was not easy and if you want to be free you have to fight for it and but you will eventually get free isn't it cruel that like kids at that age like i'm 38 now so we're talking 30 years ago they were doing shit that still you have to deal with 30 years later and they just, you would have no idea that at that age, how much damage those people can cause. And if you saw them now, they'd probably not even believe that they still can scar you from those comments or the abuse or, like you said, slapping you around. It just feels like a bit of fun in a playground, but it fucks you up for the rest of your life. It really does, man. It really does. It's like if you look at a, a dog, right? Yeah. If a person gets a puppy, one person will abuse the puppy and do all kinds of stuff later it grows up and the dog's like wants to bite everybody yeah. you know and then if you love the puppy and that frequency of love that you're giving to the to the puppy it grows up to be a nice dog you know it's a it's that's how the universe has made us you know that's how god or you know has made us that we have to give love is is the highest frequency and the highest form of action that will produce amazing results but unfortunately, if your kid's on the playground, you're not going to give love, right? You're going to give uh, jokes and, and that silly things that you don't know that are hurting people, but they do. And everything you've been through, you've come out now stronger, better. I'm sure you're in a much better place. Your mind must feel so less mushy. You know, you can think clearer, I'm sure, because you're not getting fucking hammered every night and partying and doing drugs and just you can probably just stop and actually see what's around you and have that much better view on life but I bet in the same breath you wouldn't change anything that's ever happened because it's led you to where you are now yeah they're like you know um all of it from being uh picked on and abused by my peers to the acne, to the overweight, to the, uh, all that stuff. They're battle scars that, you know, made me stronger now. Right. Yeah. 
that's why I wrote uh, a book that I have out called Stronger. And I just look back and all everything that I went through was like training for me, you know, but the, the time comes when you get, you know, you're walking through life and you get hit and you're walking through life and a bomb drops and you and you get shot and all these things hurt you. But there comes a time when you have to come away from the war and go get healed, you know, and so that's really important. And people don't like to do it. It's not easy not to not. go back inside of yourself yeah. and deal with the childhood issues and uh, and whatnot and talk to therapists and and pray or whatever your path is for healing. But I tell you, if if people dedicate like a year of their lives to, to doing that, they will they will change so dramatically that I bet you they will keep going and keep trying to work on themselves one year dedicate one year to it if anyone's listening that's miserable and, and you can't get through depression or self-hatred dedicate one year to counseling uh prayer or whatever your avenue is and you will be so glad you did well the reward is you get them many years ahead of hopefully not repeating those same it's like a burden it's like those memories it's just fucking at last being able to bury them yeah have you done any of that like I know you said that you I went to counseling like you got uh, I went to counseling uh, and talked about my issues and didn't realize they were as big as they were until I got to counseling and I've been in places where I've just had to open up and admit that you know those bullies that I never wanted to admit defeat to were the reason that I was so insecure that I was always looking in the mirror and never happy with my appearance, that the acne scars on me terrorized me every day in the way of I'm not good enough, I'm not attractive, I'm ugly, I'm disgusting. I grew my hair long to hide it, but everyone would just think it's because I wanted to be Kurt Cobain. You know, it's all that sort yeah. of stuff. And um, I feel like I've put it to bed now. I feel like I'm happier with the person I am and I'm a lot more positive about everything that happens. I'm very grateful. I don't take anything for granted anymore. The people around me that love me, I really fucking adore, you know? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? We have so many similarities in our, uh, in our past growing up, it you is. know? It's so. insane. Um, and then some people, uh, honestly, some guys are more sensitive to these things and some people just brush it yeah. off, you know? I know. So, and I, I'm not embarrassed to that to say that I'm more sensitive with that stuff. I feel like I'm a deep well in my soul, and I'm a feeler. Yeah, and that's a good. That's a good part of me, man. I, I I'm really, I mean, I love the power with the music and just like screaming and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm very uh, introspective and a deep thinker and a deep feeler, and I think that's amazing. And I love that about myself. Yeah, because I don't I don't want to be a robot like. A lot of guys are and just you know just kind of don't even want to go deeper on a deeper level in any way i don't that's to me that's a a boring life yeah no one's it's like it's a defeat to admit that you're in need of help and for some reason keep to keep on pushing it away and avoiding it is only going to cause more damage but i'm not ever embarrassed and the more people i talk to i find that are exactly like me they just you know, they're like, oh, really? I'm, you you actually feel this too? It's not just me? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's not just you. It's We've all been there. It's just for some reason too many people just want to avoid acknowledging it or 
it's like a defeat to turn around to someone and say, I've got depression or I really suffer from anxiety. You know, people are just like, like it's an illness, like it's, uh, it's something they can't talk about. Right. And, but you know, what's cool with, with all the, uh, the horrible things that have happened with losing like the Chester Bennington's and the, uh, and uh, Chris Cornell and all these other people that we've lost mental health, the stigma of talking about it is getting washed away and people right. are wanting to get help more and more and more and more, which is amazing, you know? And so I'm never going to, for the rest of my life, I won't quit talking about like people um, and mental health issues and just really talking about, you know, just look what we're doing right now. And then yeah. encouraging people to go to counseling, talk exactly. get people, and keep going until you feel better. At this point, it seems weird to plug and just go, hey, so you've got a new album out right now. But um, I do want to talk about it because it's a different way for you. You're not playing just the guitar, you're singing. And, you know, to be the guitarist and being in a band and being able to wear a mask and hide away and be safe, that's quite different when you want to pick up a microphone and be the front man. You know, I know you co-sing as well, but, you know, you are the singer. You are the front man, in my opinion, for Love and Death. You are love and death how's that as a different perspective because you could always hide behind jonathan davis who in my opinion is one of the best vocalists in the fucking industry of all time you know he's incredible right on. you could be in his shadow on stage if you wanted because he's such a front man isn't he, he comes on he gets you and he's got you from the moment they walk on until they go off but with yep. you you're there and you're like oh fuck i now need to be not the guitarist on the side i'm now the the, the focus of this band and it's not the uh i don't i don't like that the most i'll tell you that right now i i feel more comfortable with my guitar role with corn and that is my number one i'm very loyal to corn yeah. and uh but love and death is i love sharing vocals with the other guy jr because i just don't i don't love being the the full frontman singer, you know, but um, I mean, I I tell everybody all the time I got to be in a band with one of my favorite singers of all time. Yeah. And uh, you just said it and I got to be in a band with them. So I've learned so much. But the Love and Death Project, I think it's a great transition because we talk a lot about things on the record that like mental health issues, you know, and relationship issues and struggling with Want, wanting to feel so alive, you know, yeah, and and being having all this baggage on top of us. So I think it's a good. Uh, it's just I've learned from the best, man. Jonathan Davis, you know, he's processed his emotions through pain through music for you know twenty six years. And hell, man, that's not long. He's taught me well. He's taught me very well. So. It's just, it's just amazing to do it. I love the Love and Death Project because I can verbalize things and, and I do play guitar on it as well. And uh, it's just fun. It's fun for me, man. It's really fun to to write with these great writers and Breaking Benjamin and to have guests like Lacey Stern for X Flyleaf and Keith Wallen for Breaking Benjamin and and uh, Ryan Hayes and, and JR singing with me. It's just a fun like project where we all kind of share duties, you know, in a lot of different ways. 
And when the world goes back to normal and we're not so restricted, are we going to get the chance to see these songs live? Are you wanting to get out there and play some shows? And I know it must be difficult because of Breaking Benjamin and Corn and all the other stuff that's contributes, but are we going to get the chance to hopefully see some of these songs and you get to go to festivals and tour? I hope so. Yeah. Um, like I said, we are very loyal to Corn and Breaking Benjamin. So yeah. those bands take priority with scheduling, but we will see. Um, I know the pandemic, once it's over, if there's a demand and we can, you know, work out the logistics and the financials of, I mean, Europe would be the, my preference actually to tour yeah. um, just because of the, the opportunities and the people and the, you know what? I used to be so depressed when I had a European tour because I would be home, I would be gone from home so long yeah. And it wasn't sunny a lot in Europe, you know, and I would just get depressed <laughs> and, and the language barrier and whatnot. Now it's one of it's. I get so excited to go. It's just different. Yeah, it's different. I love who I am now. My kid has grown up and and I'm I'm more free to, to travel more. And the language barriers aren't as as is as, as bad. And and there's more festival opportunities. And it's just a joy, man. I get I get lit up when I get to go to Europe. So hopefully Love and Death can go. I saw you at Download a few times with Corn, and I know you're hopefully, if it all goes well, playing this year as well. And I can't fucking wait. It's going to be awesome. The lineup is amazing with Deftones and Biffy Clyro and System of a Down, and it's just amazing. Yes. I can't wait, man. I hope so. Because last year we had our biggest European tour scheduled, and we were doing just amazing shows. And many, many, like... 70% was System of a Down we were going to be playing with. And it was just going to be, it just felt brand new, right? It just felt like a, a new time and we were going to go for it. And then 2020 shut it down. But hopefully we, uh, hopefully we just kind of do the same thing, but put it into 2022. Yeah. But I don't know if that, man, I don't know if the download is going to happen, bro. I'm, and, uh, I'm with you. I hope it does, but. You're still locked down and it's almost March. I know, I'm petrified and I don't, I, I have to be honest, I've got tickets, I've got tickets for Pearl Jam in July and I sit here and I think, I'm, I'm, I can't see it going from, I can't go to a pub down the road and have a meal with my girlfriend. How do I then take that to 60,000 people in the field? I just, I can't see it in a matter of four months away. I just can't. Right. 2022, dude, that's when we're doing it. <laughs> I know, I mean, it just seems like, it, uh, we don't want to accept it, but we might have to. It might, it might hurt less if we kind of start to accept that. Yeah, prepare ourselves. I'm already like, what should I spend my Pearl Jam ticket money on? <laughs> you know, I've got we're, we're not getting any younger. No, and two years gone from touring. I mean, yeah, you better feel sorry for us. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, something I always do on the podcast, it doesn't matter if you're an actor, a cinematographer, a director, but what advice do you give for people that are listening that want to make a name for themselves? This industry, okay, we've just mentioned you can't tour for two years. It must be impossible now for a band to come along and then get to the status of corn or Deftones again, because you can't sell records as much anymore. You know, Spotify and the streaming services are a great way to get heard but there's not as much money in it. What advice do you give for those people that are listening that are wanting to pick up a guitar and be like you and record and get out there and 
really fucking do something with themselves? Well, I would say if your passion for it drives you, that you don't care if you make a lot of money or or not, I would say there's, listen, technology is opening up so many opportunities. Yeah. Yes, do music, write hundreds of songs, uh, create with other artists, but you can also get into things like cryptocurrency and, 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 and uh, um, computer animation or you know uh, website building or so, do some other things to bring income yeah. from yourself. Because listen, I'm gonna tell all you new newcomers, being in a band and being a professional musician, there's a lot of time that you're sitting around doing nothing. You're waiting for the show to begin. Yes, you have interviews. Yes, you have sound check, but you have hours where you have nothing to do. You could either drink it away and drug it away like so many. I'm guilty of it too in the past. Or you can use your head and get into this technology that's out there for you to create income for yourself that could help your, your life back at home and your band at the same time. So I really, I really encourage this, your generation and the younger to go for it, man. There's just so much out there that you can learn to create income. Start a podcast. Right? <laughs> but you got to do commercials if you start a podcast because yeah. there's no money unless you have – come on. No, 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 no. You need the commercials. Come on. Yeah. Tell them. See, I have to do the full-time job. I have to work in an office and bring in the stuff that pays for the mortgage. But after that, I get to do this. So I've got the balance. But if I wanted to jack that in and do this seven days a week, it would have to be now available, Jack Daniels whiskey from your local Sainsbury's, you know? And listen, if you, you're 38, yeah. in 10 years when you're almost 50, if you're still doing the podcast and you have commercials, none of us are going to make fun of you because – you're older and you have to bring an in income. So if you stay true to yourself and don't do commercials, cool. If you do it the other way, cool. We won't judge you. I'm going to put that on my poster that you've quoted. It's fine. And I'm still cool, even though I'm plugging aftershaves and fucking deodorants and all this all the way through. You might have to send kids to college someday, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is not easy, but every guest that comes on gets to choose the outro music. So the episode has no regular outro piece of music it's hard on putting you on the spot musicians struggle with this question the most what's a song that means a lot to you it doesn't have to be from your own band a song that you grew up with or a song that when i ask you is the first one that comes to your head if i give you too long to think about it you'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and think fuck i should have chose this or why didn't i choose this what's a song that summarizes you that sums you up that is just the perfect song that you want to be played at the end of today's episode don't Stop Believing by Journey. Nice. That's a great choice. That's the first guitar solo I ever learned. You know why? Because it was so easy. <laughs> and it repeats. Yeah. So I think with me being in corn in this interview, we're talking about heavy stuff. I think it would be amazing to play that as an outro song. And that's my first guitar solo. So. And people won't expect it. Right. That's what I could have said back in black ACDC and that would yeah. have been typical. And yeah. I almost went there, but I wanted to do something that I, I thought about my first guitar solo. So there you go. And finally, is there anything on the list that's a massive to do for you? Because you've been in some sort of films, music videos, 
you've been obviously a musician, you've wrote songs, you've sang, you've played guitar, but is there stuff that you want to do? Would you love to do like a Rob Zombie and direct a film? Would you like to get out there and produce music for other bands all the time? Is there something that you are just, you've wrote books for Christ's sake, you've done a lot of the good stuff, but is there, start a podcast, you know, let's, let's talk money, but no, but is there something that you have yet to do that is massive on your bucket list? Man. Honestly, I, I have a passion for for things that are just under the radar that not really the public eye. You know, I've, I've done so much stuff in the in the public eye over the years. I just I kind of like doing real estate and finance and and things like that, investing, yeah. you know, and things like that. You know, I, I just I don't really have the desire to do any of those things, but I am keeping my mind open and I will be uh, totally open to do things like that. But I kind of, kind of like to do things that are under the radar. I, I, I love to make my money grow. I yeah. love to invest and I want to give away all I can to charity. I want to make all I can and I just want to be really generous and and uh, help the world in that way. So that's kind of like, like what I like to do under the radar, you know, not really big public things like directing movies and, and whatnot. So it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. I wish I could have five hours. I think we could just talk and talk and talk. Your time means hell of a lot to me and I have nothing but admiration for you. And I just want to say it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, I appreciate that a lot, man. And if you uh, if you could get our management contact, I would love to, you to come out. You could be a guest at a show. I would love for you to come out, meet I'd the other guys. To, I'd love to, man. I literally would love to come to a corn show and see you guys in the flesh and say hello and bring my girlfriend and best mate because we are big fans. And it'd just be nice to just, you know, actually shake your hand and have a beer. Yeah, totally. Perfect. And if you ever mentioned to Jonathan to come on as well, that'd be awesome. That would be rad. I know you would love that. I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> we'll do it one day. We'll do it one day. Yeah. Well, thank you, bro. It was great to talk to you. Thanks again, dude. I really appreciate everything. Oh, my pleasure. It was great to talk to you. So there it is. It's going to sound weird saying it again, but I'm going to do it because it feels so good. There's me and Brian Welsh from Corn, from Love and Death, talking all things music. But as you just heard, we talked about mental health, anxiety, bullying, stress, and I didn't actually ever really kind of plan for that, but the conversation just flowed. It felt natural and it feels like I've known him for years. I absolutely love this interview and hope you guys do at home. It means the absolute world to me that Brian took the time out to come on here, to spend his time talking to me. And the overall interview for me now is my personal favorite. I wanna say a massive thank you to Lulu from Incendia Music for making this interview happen. I now owe you beers for a me <laughs> literally for years. But without Download Festival this year, it gives me a year to save up. And next year, I'll be buying you all the beers over the weekend to say thank you for making this happen. I've recently, only since this interview's been edited, been able to check out Loud Crazy Love, which is a documentary I urge you all to go and check out. It's on Sky Arts or if you're overseas on Hulu or different streaming sites, but go and watch it. It's all about Brian's life his relationship with his daughter, how he came out of this really dark place. He turned his life around with religion 
and basically how he got back to corn after he left. It's an incredible documentary and I'm really actually grateful I didn't watch this before I did the interview because I think it might have swayed me and made me ask certain questions and maybe the conversation wouldn't have flowed naturally like it did today. It's an amazing documentary and I urge you seriously to go and check it out. I've also just got the book Save Me From Myself. It's on its way from Amazon and I can't wait to read that but everyone I speak to has told me it's brilliant. I really hope you've enjoyed the honesty in this episode. It was a difficult one for me to edit because I felt like I'm letting you guys into a hell of a lot more of my life than just the podcast or the intros and outros and interviews people but I'm really glad I did. I want to thank anyone that's tuned in to Mark and me for the first time today. I hope you stick around. There's so many more interviews coming. I've just announced now I'm doing two episodes a week. Every Wednesday, every Saturday you'll be getting a brand new episode. It's full on at the moment. If you're a long-time listener, I'm absolutely grateful as always. You can go on to markandme.com where there's links to my Facebook, my Twitter and my Instagram. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please go on there, let me know what you think and I'll make sure I personally reply to you all. It means the absolute world and the feedback is why I do this podcast. Right, one little plug and they haven't asked me to say it, but as I did say at the start of today, Love and Death have just got their new album out, Perfectly Preserved. It is my album of the year, so it's not like I'm being paid to say this. Go and listen. It's fucking awesome. Every single song is amazing and you'll absolutely love it. It's on all the streaming platforms or if you like CDs or vinyls, go and invest in it. It's so fucking good. And if you really enjoyed today's episode and you want to support the podcast, I do have a Patreon page. You can go on there and sign up for as little as a pound a month. And for that, you're getting eight or nine episodes per month. Yes, one pound or one dollar a month. You also have the opportunity to win some incredible prizes from the great guys at Vice Press. They are the best movie posters out there and they're offering so many prizes at the moment. You've probably seen on social media over the last few days loads and loads of winners showing their photos of their prizes and it's incredible to see. I'll be offering loads more in the near future and it's a great partnership so thanks to those guys at Vice Press. I'll be back in only four days time with a brand new episode and for me March is my busiest but my best month of podcasting. It feels like the podcast has only just started and I can't wait to share these episodes with you. Thanks for listening. In the meantime, take care and I'll be back in a few days time.
Up. Uh-huh.